I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ultra Rugby Roundup and thank goodness Ultra Rugby are back in action. I'm Gareth Hanna and assess the win over Ospreys. We reverted to our usual lineup of Jonathan Bradley. Hello. And Adam McCandry. Hey guys. We also look ahead to a bumper weekend of rugby action. We've got Ulster's game at home to Zebra, Ireland's Six Nations trip to Italy, the Schools Cup quarterfinals and of course all the club action. We'll begin with that win in Wales. 8-0, just about more than Manchester City managed against Chelsea. A win to be endured rather than safer, Jonathan. I was going to say, yeah, that Italian team, it could be 20-0 at the weekend. Very <laughs> <laughs> enough, yeah. The, the bet was like minus 19 wasn't it like <laughs> yeah. yeah good odds um, it's mad though like not this isn't partic- probably particularly interesting to anyone else but I'd love <laughs> to know when the last time two teams played out consecutive 8-0 fixtures in the league because it was 8-0 against Ospreys Last year, well, do you count the Champions Cup playoff? Well, see, that's the thing. I'm I'm discounting that because <laughs> it ruins the stats. Yeah. But it's just bizarre to have back to back eight nils. But yeah, um, I'm sort of worrying at half time. Me obviously doing my second blog of the season. I was a bit worried that it was me and I was going to have to officially retire if it if it ended nil nil. But it uh, it didn't really look like that at half time, did it? Like I mean, I sort of maybe I was being optimistic, but I thought at half time. This is alright, Ulster are, are going to do it here. Did you have that confidence? Yeah, I think they were certainly the better team. They missed two real, real good opportunities to score yeah. tries. And I think if they had have put those away, which they really should, then you're, t- you're looking at the game completely differently. It, like, don't get me wrong, it was a bad, bad game of rugby. It just wasn't, wasn't good. Maybe so. it's just bridge end. Maybe it just brings yeah. the quality down. No, no, I agree. I if you want I another don't. interesting stat, the last time Ulster played in bridge end, they also didn't concede any points. Two league games played in bridge end, zero points conceded. So just Fifteen years apart. Can they move the home games to there? Yeah, just, just play play all the games there. Yeah, absolutely. No, not not with that pitch. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think the pitch helped matters. Not at all. Let's talk a little bit, Adam, about Stuart McCroskey. His hundredth appearance, man of the match, try. Pretty, pretty good evening's work from script couldn't, script couldn't have been written much better to be honest I mean but, well could have scored a hat trick or something like that but <laughs> yeah with a winning try mile a match on your 100th appearance you'll take that especially after some of the 100th appearance uh, markers that some Ulster players have gotten where uh, they tug out and it's a great occasion but then Ulster end up losing and the occasion quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, but no the, it I thought McCluskey was very good. I saw someone comparing him to Sonny Bill Williams for his try on on Twitter afterwards, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but it was one of those ones where, you know, one one of your big name players steps up and makes a difference, and he really did. You give him that half half bit of space, and he took advantage of the fact that I think it was the Ospreys' least experienced player, and Tian Thomas Wheeler was the one opposite him. He just gets that little step on on the inside of him. And he gets away with it. I actually thought uh, first try he probably should have just knocked it on or something because the ref probably would have been under the post for the penalty try if he hadn't uh... Yeah, see that's the thing. It was 100% a penalty try and then with the missed conversion um, in a game where there only is 8 points, those 2 points are obviously big Yeah, um, but it, it gave you that moment of pause towards the end whenever it could have been oh, well, at least they're going to take a draw But Yeah, well, I think people would have um, probably talked about 
kicking into the corner rather than going for the posts in that situation rather sure. than the fact that they should have obviously yeah. had the penalty try but it's one of those things that people just gloss over when you win the game anyway but that, yeah. was, that was madness yeah we'll talk about that uh, more in a little while just on uh, on Stuart McCluskey I know it was a, a, a difficult night's work but it was a little bit similar to the, the League Cup final on Saturday when Linfield had one moment of class to win the game and it was sort of that uh, I felt in the Ulster game where Stuart McCluskey provided that one minute of class his break was good the offload to him but Peter Nelson was good and McCluskey finished it well I have genuinely no idea what you're talking about man. I was just uh, going to say can we establish <laughs> off the bat how many football references are you going to get in here before we continue you on? turned it to football oh no wait no I did yeah, yeah. sorry sorry um, yeah, just does that not make sense oh no it does it does right. no like 100% I thought Stuart McCluskey was the difference between the two sides because um, now Osprey's defence as much as they have this sort of weird setup with their defence coaches like Osprey's I think I'm right in saying have conceded the second fewest amount of tries only to Leinster so they have a good defence they are tough to break down and on a pitch like that where you saw big carriers like um, Henderson not able to sort of get that traction that they need to um, get over the gain line. And you saw, obviously, with the way that the props were emptying uh, huge amounts of muck out of their boots before every scrum, that obviously it was a very heavy pitch. And, like, it genuinely could have been knowledge if not for Stuart McCluskey, like he was the one that opened them up um, twice, really, mm-hmm. um, f- for the Carnahan chance as well. He created mm-hmm. his own try with that offload. And I think not for the first time this season, he was the difference maker in a tight game. If uh, we're talking about that piece of class from him, then a question comes in from our friends at the South Wales URSC. Adam, what does Stuart McCluskey have to do to get another Ireland cap? Very good question. Probably one he's asking himself. Um, you got to bear in mind who he's up against. So Bundyaki, who seems to never have a bad game in an Ireland jersey. Um, Robbie Henshaw, who we all know has a lot of class in that midfield. I, I still think McCluskey is seen as a bit one-dimensional in that he's a big ball carrier, um, and he's that's you know his his main outlet in terms of attacking potential. Now I think he's shown on a lot of occasions he can do more than that, and I think at the weekend he actually showed that he's a very good defender, and that you know given that little half space he can make a break without needing to use his power. Um, but in terms of how Joe Schmidt likes to play, um, it, he wants his twelves to be. Uh, powerful as you've seen with Aki but he also wants them to have that little bit of extra flair and I I just think that he's not wholly convinced that McCluskey does that and I think that's harsh because McCluskey has been so important for Ulster this year and I think he's shown as I said I think he's shown a lot beyond that um, and I don't think he did his chances any harm on Friday night I think he did put it he was head and shoulders above a lot of other people on the pitch and that probably uh, that probably at least turned the head a little bit, but it's just one where you're you're battering against a door that's being held shut by two guys who are consistently very good in an Ireland shirt, and Schmidt's very much one of going with the tried and tested. Uh, so it would take something monumental for McCluskey. You need to be putting in nine, 
10 out of 10 performances every week in order to get Schmidt to really sit up and take notice and almost make him decide, okay, we, we need to bring you back in. Because at the, at the moment, unfortunately for McCluskey, Aki and uh, Aki and Henshaw aren't doing a great deal wrong to let the door open for anybody else to step in. And I think part of the problem as well is that you have to look at is versatility. So in Test Rugby, the value placed on versatility is obviously huge. So McCluskey's not going to play unless he starts because there's always going to be somebody who can play more positions that is therefore more useful to have on the bench, be that Will Addison, Jordan Larmer, whoever. So they're always going to be the non-halfback on the bench. That's never going to be McCluskey, so he has to start. And mm. Adam sort of hit the nail on the head there, that in order to start, he has to convince Joe Schmidt that he's better than Bondiaki. Like, that's the, that's the only thing that he can do mm-hmm. to win more, more Arna Cups. And I don't think that he has got really a fair crack of it because I thought that he did grand in his debut in Twickenham and then to not see him again ever again in a first choice Ireland team to only see him in those sort of patchwork teams that are always very hard to judge mm. um, you're, I, I think it's very hard um, and maybe we're saying the same thing with John Cooney, it's very hard to impress in those types of situations mm-hmm. where you know you might make 13 changes or something from yeah. it's a heck of a lot different to if you were to slot McCluskey in there between Sexton and Henshaw you know but mm-hmm. yeah um, one uh, little um, quote from Dwayne Peel after the game that sort of caught my eye was you'd highlighted earlier Jonathan as well is, is pass in the build up and Dwayne Peel said that in, in training McCluskey's catch pass stuff is excellent and um, he, he's up there with the best players in the Ulster squad in that respect is that something that he's generally uh, underappreciated for? I think Adam sort of hit on it there like he he can be seen as one dimensional but I don't think that's particularly fair like Adam said because he does get those offloads away and we saw how effective that can be I think people do want to see him do it more maybe but I think he still he obviously leads Ulster in attempts at offloads mm. and I think working with Dan Sober as well this year with, with the, the catch and pass that Dwayne Peel mentioned I think his distribution has been better this year as well and it's it's hard to it really is hard to overstate how important he has been for Ulster this year because you look at the minutes that he's played as well He's been so durable. He's been run out there every week. Even the like we saw against Treviso when he was injured after about 20 minutes, he still played on to half-time. And he's such a central cog to what Ulster do. And then that's obviously exacerbated by you know Henderson being a bit rusty coming back in, mm-hmm. Marcel not being there. And it, as I said, easily that's a game that Ulster could have well, maybe not lost if Ospreys weren't going to score any points, but could have, could have had the, could have had the knowledge draw. Um, before we move on, then we'll hear a little bit from Stuart after that 100th Ulster appearance. Yeah, I was ecstatic. I thought it was going to be a penalty try to them, but uh, no, it was good to get a try myself, and uh, I don't get them too often, so it's nice to get the album. I think maybe six, seven years ago, if you'd asked me, I would get 100 caps, I wouldn't have believed you, and uh, probably take myself and my family, and uh, hopefully be a few more in the future, and yeah, so I keep on plugging away and hopefully not injured. We had a lot of opportunities in their 22 and maybe didn't convert as many as we like, but um, 
Yeah, that'll come, but uh, we, I think we're just really happy with the defence tonight. There's been so many young guys this year coming in, just with a lot of injuries and a lot of guys retiring. And I think they've all stood up well. I think Mikey did really well there at 10 today, and obviously Billy and Johnny have been great for us, but Mikey brings that sort of different dimension at 10, and he's sort of bringing the fullback as well. It's, uh, it's, it certainly gets the tackles in, doesn't it? So Ian Henderson, then, we had said last week that uh, you weren't here, Adam, but of course you can probably imagine that we said we wouldn't rule out Ian Henderson for a start, and he, he, he did it again. Yeah, I mean, this guy is bordering on superhero levels of healing and regeneration. I mean, we're yeah, like have when to... we were talking about it last week, like we were saying, oh, you wouldn't rule it out. But at the same time, I don't know if you, Jonathan, but I was sort of like, oh, you wouldn't rule it out. But like, realistically, it's not going to happen, is it? I was saying that I think like Dan Silver didn't sign particularly um, confident that he was going to play, especially if you're getting to however late in the week that was. Um, and he still hadn't taken part in a full training session, but you know, the way the Ulster week is scheduled now, um, there's the traditional arrival of the coffee cart. I'm sure the <laughs> microphone will pick that up. Um, <laughs> Fingers crossed. It's a great sound check. <laughs> and it's still going. Yeah. <laughs> um, the way that the, the Ulster's week is structured now is that um, Wednesday. For a Friday game is the big session of the week, whereas Wednesday used to be the off day, but um, Dan McFarland's changed that around. So you have Wednesday as the big session, Thursday as captain John. So it does give you that sort of um, extra day, if you like, to prove yourself. And he was obviously able to turn in on Wednesday, much like he did for the Tigers game. Go through a contact session late in the week and then sort of nudge the doctors into uh, clearing him to play afterwards as you touched upon before you really interrupted you Adam superhuman levels he's approaching these days I'm going to nickname him Deadpool because he's just able to regenerate and he's also a freak of nature so, I, I've never seen um, that I was going to say mi- that. missed that reference <laughs> oh, not, not for on, the guys. first time come today. on guys um, but the fact that he comes back in he's he's relied on for the most carries in the Ulster uh, in the Ulster pack in the game he makes uh, 17 tackles, the most on the Ulster team, full stop. He doesn't miss any uh, in the game. Like, it's amazing what Henderson can do just coming back into this team from completely out in the cold. Uh, or Sorry, not completely out in the cold, from being uh, out and then making a miraculous recovery. I mean, I, I don't think we can understate how amazing this is what Henderson's able to do in terms of recovery so from now on whenever Ulster say he's out for two months let's just say we'll take him on a week by week basis and we'll see whenever he comes back or whatever it's going to be because it just seems to be that every time he's told I'm you're out for x number of weeks he goes right I've got to beat that and that <laughs> he's got a broken leg so he's touch and go for next week we're, we're not we're not quite sure at this stage well I think it is going to be interesting to see what does happen because essentially, did he look ready to go into the Six Nations? Or will that be seen as enough rugby to then go mm-hmm. and play in the Six Nations? Or is he told, play for Ulster for the next two weeks and then come back for the France game? I think under normal circumstances, you may have seen him play um, play for Ulster for the next two weeks just to really have him hitting the straps by the time that France game rolls around but just with the way the lock situation is at the minute with Toner being out um, Byrne obviously hasn't played and maybe you want to give James Ryan a rest maybe you see him involved but 
It's, it'll be a strange one, obviously, with the Sunday game this mm. week for Ireland because mm-hmm. it kind of bumps everything back a bit. You know? with, with all due respect to Italy, this is the game that you are able to do a bit of rotating as mm. well, so it's the perfect one to bring him back in on the mm. bench, potentially. Mm. That's true. Or, but is he not better to stay with Ulster and get more minutes rather than be on the bench for Ireland? I would think Schmidt would want him back in that camp as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. It, as Johnny said, the lock situation isn't exactly uh, overflowing with players at the moment so whenever a player does come back I mean he played 80 for Ulster yeah. at the weekend so everybody did which was strange <coughs> or sorry not everybody like all just jabers and I we're trying to write a match report you weren't leaving anything out there was plenty of reference to the subs um, all the Ireland players like you know Ge- yeah. Geordie stayed on Cooney stayed on Hendy stayed on so you know they all so played, all played is it, it's not a case of they need to give him, you know, or they need to send him back to make sure he can play 80 or anything like that. He's already come back and proven he can play 80. Mm-hmm. I think Schmidt will want to get him straight back into camp and at the very least take a look and see if he's available for the weekend. If not, then maybe, yeah, whenever it comes to Wednesday, you say, okay, look, head back and you, you'll play with Ulster at the weekend. But um, I, I would certainly expect Henderson to at least be back in the Ireland camp. Um mm-hmm. And I, I would reckon he'll probably be in with a shout of playing at the weekend, if not playing. The the other significant news that came with the, the team selection was Michael Lowry starting at 10. Jack has sent in a question to ask, is Michael Lowry now ahead of Johnny McPhillips in that pecking order for the number 10 shirt? I thought like he had a pretty good game. He obviously had um, one or two ruby kicks um, early on and... We've seen that sort of dinked kick pass from Billy Burns a lot and maybe it was a day where that could have opened up Ospreys a bit more than um, Ulster managed to. But on the whole, I thought he had a pretty good game. Like it was, It's great to see somebody play, obviously, that flat to the line. But, you know, the concern, I suppose, I think it was Stephen McCormick asked about this a while ago, of like, are there concerns about Larry? And, you know, again, we've sort of... We've seen him come off after making a tackle. Um, he got absolutely smashed. There were yeah, no bones about that. Yeah. Like, there are times, you know, you have that sort of, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Um, and then his Nakawara tackle, and then there's just other times when you're like, oh, don't put your head there. You know, he is clearly a very brave player. He's not shirking any responsibility <laughs> defensively. We've made that comparison to Paddy Jackson in that regard before, but um, you do want him to show some sort of um, concern for his own uh, for his own body at some stage. Mm-hmm. It's one of those ones where he'd be suited to American football, where he could only play offense but no defense. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> like I think, <laughs> don't like, give off to me about proper football references. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a game where it, it was never going to allow him to show his full attacking capabilities. Like the pitch was too heavy, um, they could never get their legs sort of. Uh, going and there was never going to be the opportunity to get any real fast flowing rugby going which is exactly where uh, Larry excels so he he did well he did as well as he could I think but that that isn't a true reflection on what he could bring to Ulster um, and uh, as we said you know he loves to stick his head in and get busy 
on the defensive side. But it, it is one of those ones where if you could, you would say, look, stand out in the wing and don't do anything until we get the ball back. But obviously, one, that's not how he wants to play. And two, it's you can't afford to do that. Yeah. But it, it is one of those ones where if, if you could just get him healthy, like for a, for a full season uh, and playing on a good surface every game of the season... You know, you'll properly see what he can bring to this mm-hmm. team, and it'll be really exciting whenever he does get that chance. We were looking up sort of um, the the figures for him earlier on from a couple of different uh, sources online. Both of them have him around five foot six and eleven stone four or five, which is uh, comparatively light uh, at that level. Um, is that how big a concern is that looking forward for him? I think it is just going to be a case of, like we've seen before, and this goes back a long time, of hiding certain players defensively. And I don't think that he wants that because he doesn't seem like he wants to shirk any of his defensive responsibilities. But it is just, there's a physics to it of, you know, if somebody of that size is running at you, it's not, it's not going to end well. But... Um, in the modern game the way it is now it's obviously going to be an increasing concern because I think even like maybe 15 years ago you probably wouldn't even be having this conversation because everybody on the pitch would mm-hmm. be smaller you know mm-hmm. but I don't think it's going to hinder him being a big part of Ulster rugby for the next decade you know yeah yeah but what can they do then to like do do they protect him then? Because he can't keep going off injured. And if he keeps getting stuck in the way he is, that's going to be hard to avoid. Well, the thing is, team, teams are always going to look at targeting the smallest player on the pitch. That's just what's going to happen. And, you know, <clears throat> maybe you see him defend on the wing, perhaps, more. Um, especially if you've got somebody like Louis Ludic, um, who would be able to defend, defend that more central channel. Yeah. Okay. Um, playing on the wing but look at the end of the day he is going to have to make tackles and the 10 is always going to be targeted you know you see that with somebody I don't know Johnny Sexton's probably what 6'2 like, and you see him get targeted yeah, you know yeah. it's just um, I remember you know reading um, I think it think it was an Alan Quinlan it was either an Alan Quinlan's book or a column that he did about how even in training you know his job would be to try and get as close to Ronan O'Gara without actually <laughs> without actually levelling him in training. I can imagine Alan Quinlan not just stopping at getting close yeah, to him like and sp- actually properly levelling him. <laughs> Especially Monster in those uh, you know Tuesday trainings that uh, sort of became legendary in the Heineken Cup squad, <laughs> winning squads. But like you know that's the mentality that other teams are going to have towards any ten, and especially if they see. Um, somebody as undersized but at the same time I don't think that is going to outweigh his natural talent for playing rugby yeah uh, well, that's good news anyway to answer the question then ahead of Johnny Ray Phillips and the the pecking order now then yeah I think um, like we we haven't seen much of Johnny McPhillips really uh, I think he did grand last season when he played but um I think it was a very good call to get 
make Laurie a game of 10 because we'd sort of been calling it for it for a while. Mm-hmm. We still think that's his long-term position. And the other thing as well was um, you maybe could have seen him play fullback or even Louis Ludic play fullback, but without doing anything particularly flash, I thought Pete Nelson had a good game, like mm-hmm. um, very solid um, under the high ball, which was important. Um, probably could have... People would look at it and say maybe he could have pinned his ears back um, for and scored himself before the McCluskey mm-hmm. try. But um, for somebody that hasn't played a heck of a lot of rugby, has played a lot of, or had to play a lot of different positions, and I suppose in essence doesn't know whether he's going to be here next year as well. Like I thought he came in and had a good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, another question then from this one from Kyle McNeely. He. Uh, just pointed out that Eric O'Sullivan has some engine, rightly so, but he wants to know, do we have any stats on how many involvements Eric had during the match? Uh, we do. He had four passes, ten carries, uh, only made four metres. He uh, made 13 tackles, none missed, and he won one penalty at the scrum on Tom Botha. So... Uh, that's that's his involvement at the weekend in, in just stats. But I think O'Sullivan again is someone who I, I was a little bit worried about coming into the game purely from a perspective of that's the first time he sort of come into this on a kind of a break, you know, where uh, he had so many games in a row where you're just able to sort of keep that momentum going and you're just feeling good and you just ride the crest of a wave and then you have a break where you go away you switch your mind off rugby and you come back in and that's sort of the first test for him in terms of okay now that you've had a bit of time off you've come back in can you switch straight back into where you were before you went off and I thought he did I thought he was very good and in terms of what that says about him as a player in terms of what he's able to contribute to the team going forward, especially for someone that they're hoping can be uh, a player who can really step up and make that loose head jersey his own going forward, if he hasn't already, then I think that's a big answer to a question that they really uh, they were hoping that he would give a good answer to. Him. Uh, very impressed by him at the weekend. In terms of the table then, after the weekend's fixtures, Ulster are still two points behind Benetton and now two behind Edinburgh as well. They have, however, leapfrogged Scarlet. Um, one question we had in relation to this, Adam Beresford, who asks, will Ulster make the Heineken Cup next year? And if not, is the Challenge Cup a disaster? Things are, are looking a little bit better in that table, especially if you consider uh, Ulster's next three fixtures which are what, home to Deborah away to Dragons, home to Kings. So if you're not getting three wins out of that, you're disappointing. Should disappointed three, this time. three bonus point wins should really be the end it's, from that. In a few weeks' time, then, that table should be, fingers crossed, looking healthy with regards to Champions Cup qualifications anyway. Yeah, I think, like, I th- and I think we probably said this last week as well, um, this Ospreys game was the one where a slip-up looked most likely when you assess the table after... Um, after the Benetton game they really needed to win these four games you know Dragons have been a lot better um, in the last couple of weeks but you would still expect also to be taking 14 points and without putting too fine a point on it they really need to be taking 14 points because the thing that's going to work in Ulster's favour and the reason that I think they're, they're going to get in the Champions Cup is because 
a lot of the other teams involved, which is Edinburgh, Benetton and Scarlets, have very, very tough fixture lists. Ulster, if they win these three games, with the amount of tough fixtures the other teams have and the amount of times that they play each other, mm-hmm. Ulster could probably... Four wins out of the six games, I think, probably does it for Ulster. Mm-hmm. And they should be getting four wins from those six games. But going to Edinburgh and going to Glasgow mm-hmm. is obviously... And then Leinster at home to finish is obviously very difficult. The advantage being that Glasgow and Leinster probably won't have anything to play for by that stage. Mm-hmm. Certainly uh, Leinster. But I think, like... Cause, like, I wrote about this for the paper today. Like, um, the teams play each other. Scarlet's... Um, probably have the easiest of the four fixture lists but and Edinburgh have the most difficult but Edinburgh are obviously second at the minute and Scarlets are fifth but like a decent team is going to not qualify for the Champions Cup this year and somebody's going to have to be um, in the playoff as well which looks like it could be Ospreys again but that conference is so tight that it's very hard to predict because Going into this weekend, there were I think there was two points between sixth and third in the other conference. Yeah. Uh, sorry, you cut me. You cut me on the words there. <laughs> sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so to to answer the question, I believe that Ulster will qualify for the Champions Cup. I do think the Challenge Cup would be um, seen as a disaster. Financially, it wouldn't be good. Um, but when you look at teams that are in the Challenge Cup, like this year, like. Um, Claremont, La Rochelle, Northampton, like big teams are able to go into the Challenge Cup for a year and I don't know. The figures vary wildly about how much it costs you um the difference. Um but I think in terms of the prestige as well of just being in the Champions Cup rather than the Challenge Cup, I think for the way that Ulster have built throughout this season, it would be a very disappointing thing for them mm-hmm. if that progress were then to be... You, you would lose that progress, essentially, um, because it would be seen as a bad season, whereas you've, mm-hmm. if you qualify for the Germans' Cup from here, having got to the quarterfinals, you've had a good season, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. like that's the difference. Also, we've been talking about fallen attendances all season. It couldn't be anything worse for attendances than missing out in the Heineken Cup. Well, yeah, like people people aren't going to go to the Challenge Cup compared to the Champions Cup. You know, you can build up a game in the Challenge Cup as much as you want. You know, it doesn't have the same prestige as the Champions Cup, as Johnny said. And just picking up on that point of seeing it as a bad season after. All the positivity that's come out of this season, looking at the young guys progressing, looking at the fact that the team just seems to be in a better place overall, that there's more positivity around the camp, that there's uh, there seems to be uh, a lot of good things coming out about they're heading in the right direction. Dan McFarland's got them all pulling together. Um, for them then to miss out on the Champions Cup would be would just be a real sucker punch in my opinion because. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like well, look at look at all the good things we're doing, but the end product or the the end result was actually worse than the year before. Mm-hmm. So as I think, I, I'm just gonna say it would be a disaster if they went into the Challenge Cup. I think I you, you have to get into the Champions Cup. 
Uh, one of the games then that obviously are going to be key to doing that is Zebra this weekend. Um, from an Ulster team perspective, if we're expecting Ian Henderson perhaps to go back to Ireland, how big a blow is that to, to Ulster this weekend? I suppose given the fixture, it's not the end of the world. It was a funny funny week for Zebra, like, because they went down so quickly to Leinster, but then fought back like they got the better of a good Leinster front row in the scrum um, got to within two points and then Leinster obviously pulled away in the end but like they played with a bit of endeavour they scored a few tries had the upper hand in the set piece but just couldn't really defend but obviously if you're picking a week to play them it's this week whenever uh <laughs> whenever Italy are in action against Ireland because yeah. you know they're going to be missing all of those guys and um, you're hoping that they'll be missing a few more as kind of injury cover as well so it's uh, it, it's one where just you know bottom line Ulster have to win this with a bonus point you know yeah. at this point if Ulster are wanting to be that team that makes it into the Champions Cup next year and not having to rely on the playoff or missing out altogether you have to be taking every point you can um, and Zebra for all the improvements they've had and um, I, d- I do really like some of the recruitment they've done um, over the past couple of years but they're still the bottom side in Conference A for a reason. They're not up to the same standards as some other sides. And Ulster have to take advantage here. They have to start pick up every single point that they can whenever it's on offer to them. Yeah. And I think Zebra at home offers them a real chance to do so. Any other uh, changes we can expect or any, any other big news in the Ulster team selection? Well, I don't think you're going to have um, Jordy Murphy again. Um, you'll probably not have John Cooney because yeah. even if Marmion's back you're probably going to need him at least as cover yeah and obviously with the game being Sunday and away then that changes things as well mm-hmm. um, Reese Roddick is out of the game Dan Levy's still out of the game um, Reese Roddick was the extra man uh, in the back row for the Scotland game so presumably that would be Jordy then um, this week um, so you can bring Nick Timoney in there um, Ulster haven't regrouped yet for the week um, as we record this so not sure what the prognosis is on Marcel Conceia's injury um, obviously wasn't training last week didn't play last week um, if you lose Henderson I think Treadwell comes in it's um, probably what you would expect um, what about Michael Lowry? Really, haven't really heard anything yet. No, well, obviously you've got a nine-day turnaround, so um, whenever the injury That's happens true. that late in the game, like you don't know um, what the story with um, the HIA is because of needing to be off the field for ten minutes. You yeah. know, you know. So um, I assume all these things will become clear tomorrow, or slightly less than clear as the way normally is now. But if you're looking at the game, like as Adam says. You just need to win and yeah. win handily because Zebra are where they are in the table for a reason. And then, you know, Scarlets are playing Cheetahs, Treviso are playing Dragons, and we're playing Cardiff. All those teams are at home. So everybody should win this week. So it should be a case of just sort of protecting the status quo then 
for that next weekend of games where Edinburgh play Treviso and Scarlets are hosting Munster. So that is the weekend where after that, if you do your own job, you could be set fairly well. Yeah. And then obviously again, and talking about it in the paper today, then the week after when you have Kings at home, which is another game that should just be f- five points as a almost a prerequisite. You've got Edinburgh hosting Leinster, Treviso away to Connacht and Scarlet's away to Cardiff. So those are again losable games. So this three games or these next three games, I know there's a two week break in between um Dragons and Kings, but it really is a block of games where if they don't get fourteen points, you are talking about it being a huge disappointment mm-hmm. and then that is going to open up the uh the Challenge Cup question because you need to be in a good position. Basically, you need to be front-running for the last three weeks of the season because of the fixtures that you have. I was going to say, going into the last year quarter-final, you have to at least be in the top three in uh, the conference or you've got to be the front-runners. With those three fixtures to end, Mm -hmm. you have to at least have... or You have to be in there looking out as opposed to be on the outside looking in uh, because... There's no way that those last three games are guaranteed wins. Mm-hmm. So they, they need to bank points now mm-hmm. and at least have some sort of fallback in case the last three games don't go the way they want them. Yeah, because like with the games that Scarlets have to finish, like they look like the team is going to miss out completely at the minute. But they've got Dragons and Zebra as their last three games. So you need to have that buffer to Scarlets yeah. for the last fortnight yeah. to be... Um, and that's just to be talking about a playoff, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Before we move on then uh, to the the Six Nations, um, we should say that I'm sure we speak on behalf of of all the Ulster sport when we say that our thoughts and prayers are with Rian Pinor, who is uh, currently mourning the death of his sister Renee, who died in a car crash in South Africa over the weekend. So, uh, yeah, all our thoughts are are with him and the the whole Pinor family. Ireland then and the Six Nations. Uh, I suppose it's similar to Ulster's story this weekend in that a bonus point win is um, all but a formality one would hope and expect. Yeah, I mean, Sergio Parise has been one of my favourite ever players. So, like, I always have this sort of soft spot for Italian rugby and obviously... Um, the trip to Rome is great. Um, I'd pay for my own trip to Rome a couple of but, weeks ago, and um, here's you, way on a jolly. I thought there's nothing. Well, <laughs> I was going to say. Were you about to say there's nothing jolly about Rome? <laughs> well, I was going to say there's nothing jolly about working on a Six Nations weekend because it's, you know, I'll probably have to write like 10 pieces from the one game. So it's not like the company doesn't get value for money out of it, but then <laughs> with it being a Sunday game. Um, yeah, I don't actually have to do as much because... Oh, Plus you're in Rome. Out, yeah, yeah. Plus I'll actually have a day off in Rome as well. Fantastic. Um, what, this are, is, what are your plans? This just gets better and better. Uh, it'll be my birthday, so... Oh, um, happy birthday. On Good Monday, man. so um, I'm coming back. My day off for the week will be Monday, and so I'll be spending that in, in Rome. Oh, lovely. Drinking vino, eating spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, just doing stereotypical Italian just doing, things. Doing Italian things, yeah. 
you can't get a pint in, well, I mean, like this might be a stretch to say you can't get a pint in Rome, but I'm going to go out there. I, I mean, I was there a couple of weeks ago. Very hard to get a pint. Well, it's a, it's those European things, isn't it, where you drink the sort of, everyone drinks half pints. And uh, but it's not even a half pint, it's some sort of weird measure. I think it's just whatever size Two glass thirds. they yeah, happen yeah. to have in the bar. It's like glass, all right then. It's like a thimble, but that's what you're getting. But anyway, that's, Do you think you can get the point to guest on the podcast next week? Um, I've actually, I have been to the Vatican before, so I won't be doing it this time, I don't think, you know. Good trip, though. It is. Uh, Which is, sorry, to get back to the yeah, point, <laughs> um, it's getting harder and harder to um, justify the point of these games because it feels like a dying week. So this Six yeah. Nations for me, like I don't know what everybody's or everybody's take on it, but it almost feels like it's completely split in two with a three-week break in the middle. Like it's completely lost momentum mm-hmm. as an entry, and that's probably not helped by the fact that obviously Ireland lost their first game, which skews everything. But like when you're talking about a team, what is it, nineteen games in a row or something mm-hmm. that they've lost now, and it's just they're not getting any better, mm-hmm. and. You would hope that the club sides, um, the improvements at club level mm-hmm. transfer to test level. But like we've seen with Wales, that the two things are often fairly, or can be unconnected. In Ireland, we always assume, because when Ireland have been going well, it tends to be when the provinces have had good seasons mm-hmm. in Europe. But it's easy to forget that like Wales seems to not matter at all what their regions are doing in relation to how they play come Six Nations in November time. So it's not a given that because Teresa are getting better and because Zebra are getting marginally better that the Italian national team is going to get better. Like they do have unfortunately we'll not see a lot of them because they're injured, but like they do have an exciting array of backs and back rowers coming through and I suppose you would have thought the traditional strength would have been the tied five in the set piece, but in terms of a Six Nations contest, it's not delivering because there's no tension. Like, Ar- what, Ireland have put 40 points in them last three times they played or something, so it's yeah. it's, it's just not a spectacle. It's, it's hard to get up for it. But, think, like, you're I never going to get anybody suggesting that we should uh, all go to Georgia uh, every other year rather than going to Rome. It's just no, you happen. just took Absolutely my point not. there, Johnny. Sorry, you just took yeah. my point. We should all go to Georgia. <laughs> now, um, I think I think Italy are suffering a little bit from a crisis of identity because I know Tony Ward had a piece last week where he was talking about um, how he doesn't like the fact that guys come in the project role and um, play ahead of Irish guys uh, who are trying to get into the team. Um, and I think Italy suffer from this to quite large extent. Because Sergio Parise is obviously the outlier in Argentinian who um, has now represented them so many times and he is like such a talismanic figure. But Italy seem to parachute these guys in and uh, decide that these guys are now going to supplement our national squad. Guys like DFCC, uh, Maxime Mbanda, guys like those to supplement their squad. And there, there just doesn't seem to be any sort of coherence as to, okay, well, we, we need to keep some sort of stability in this squad we need to like bring everything everyone through at the same time and then keep supplementing that with young guys it's always you know bringing the these guys from 
across the world and decide that these guys are going to be the solution in the national team. And I, I just wonder if that's something that's maybe holding the the national team back as opposed to the clubs. Because at club level, you do bring in guys you know, from across the world who will help out your squad as along with the local guys. And that's fine. That's club level. That's what you do as a club. Ulster do it. Leinster do it. Everyone does it. But at, at national level, I'm just wondering if there's maybe a little bit of a, a disconnect between the national team and, you know, the the Italian public. I'm saying this, you know, with no sort of inside knowledge of the Italian no, system. No, like that, is, like that, that is but. a huge... Or sorry, the issue of culture for me in general is a huge one with Italian rugby. Maybe not necessarily with the project players because they are going to die out. And like I read that Tony Ward piece and it was sort of like, you know, you they've already tried to make amends with the residency rule and switching mm. it to five years. So I don't think you're going to see as many like South Africans or parachuting into the <laughs> Italian team in a couple of years because... Yeah. You know, people aren't going to wait five years. Um, Not for Italy, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but just, like, the culture of rugby in Italy is non-existent, mm. you know. I don't want to get into, like... Well, so we, we don't really have it so much here, but in southern media, where you, at this time of year, we always have to have the debate of, is rugby become the people's game or whatever? And it's just a nonsense. Nobody cares. Just, <laughs> you know, enjoy whatever you enjoy. Watch whatever you want to watch. But... People in Italy genuinely do not care <laughs> about yeah, I mean, them. We were there for the weekend of the Wales yes. game, obviously, and like we saw plenty of Wales shirts and flags and things about. Like not once did I see any reference anywhere to yeah. the Italian national team, and even in advertising boards. Or, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like not once did I see anything in Rome. Whereas, like that team. coming in from um, South Belfast into work today, like I probably passed five billboards with different Irish players on them yeah. and um, like this is this will be my third time going to Rome and the first time um, I was still working in the bar uh, but we worked with uh, an Italian girl and um, me and my wife worked together um, in the bar and we're just like chatting talking about going to Rome for the weekend she was from Milan she was like, oh, like what are you going to Rome for it's like the rugby what rugby Six Nations, like Ireland are playing, Ireland are playing Italy. And she's like, what? Like, Ireland play Italy in rugby? Like, I thought we only had football over there. Like, genuinely, yeah. just yeah, the, con- the concept of the Six Nations was just alien to her because mm. it's just such a football country in a way that, like, obviously everywhere is a football country really now. Like, even, yeah. even Wales um, is a football country now, but the like all-encompassing nature of mm-hmm. football over there at the expense of so many other things and like rugby just doesn't capture the public's imagination so you don't have the same number of people playing it you don't have that grassroots level like and you're going to have stars like Parise emerging like maybe Minazzi can be that guy we're not going to see him obviously terrible knee injury but Bellini, guys like that. Um, Campagnaro is sort of find his find himself again, having gone to Wasp. But like, you're going to have these players, but you just it doesn't feel like they're ever going to produce enough of them. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. It's a uh, it's uh, difficult to see any sort of sort of path forward for them. Then again, I suppose like for huge parts of the 
seventies, eighties, and nineties. Apart from like those two years in like the mid eighties, a lot of people would have said that about Ireland. What are they bringing to the Six Nations? So I don't know. <laughs> Guinness, Guinness well, that's what they're bringing. Italy are bringing their rubbish, known pints. Well, that's like, oh, sorry, I'm I'm sounding like more Brexit. I know. I hate myself. Just one, why? Why again. can't you get harp in uh, <laughs> Germany? It's uh, it's insane. But um, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe all they need is uh, Paul O'Connell, Brian O'Driscoll, and Ronan Agar to all emerge at the same time, and then Joe Schmidt will take over. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, we'll move on then to more local matters, and of course the Schools Cup quarterfinals, which are being played on Saturday morning. Um, so, uh, as regards our coverage, I think we're going to be live blogging from the main game, Methody against Inst. Um, and as to whether we'll have updates from other games or not. Who knows? We may, we may not, but we'll have the main game anyway. Um, the other games, of course, are Rainey against Wallace, Ballymena against Armagh, and Campbell against Enniskillen. Um, we'll start off with the holders uh, against Enniskillen. You've seen them this season, Alan Campbell. How have they, how have they been looking compared to last year? As at their game against Sullivan in the previous round, I was really impressed by... At, at halftime, they were down and they hadn't really looked like they were doing much, but they just came out in the second half a completely different team, completely turned things around and uh, scored two quick tries that really killed the game off, to be honest. Uh, Sullivan, as much as they tried, were, were always sort of up against it and never got back into it. But I think one of the things about Campbell is that they're very relentless. You know, they, they have a lot of energy in that team. Um, I think they've kept a lot of guys from last year as well, which is uh, which is all obviously always big because you got that experience then in that group as well. Uh, and I was very impressed by them, so I, I think they're definitely ones to watch. I would certainly back them to come out on top against Enniskillen, mm-hmm. but uh, especially at home. But I know Enniskillen will certainly give them a good test. For for me, like. And we'll, we'll go on and talk about Methy against Inst, obviously, because that is the standout tie. But looking at that Balamina versus Armagh game, I think that's a real cracker that a lot of people aren't really talking about because, you know, your eyes drawn to Methy yeah. Inst for obvious reasons. But Balamina Armagh is, is a really good uh, tie in itself. Um, I wonder if there'll be any sort of town rivalry because of the Senior Cup or anything like that. <laughs> I uh, would say it's chance, possibly. Chance yes. for Balmina to exact a bit of revenge. But um, they're two teams that are, I think a lot of people ha- have overlooked in terms of potential winners this year. I, I think that's possibly the tie of the round uh, instead of the game at Methody. Controversial. Controversial. Um, what do you what do you think, Jonathan Methody? Obviously, we have said for months it would be the favourites. Um, they'll underline that if they if they can come out on top of of Inst. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's um, any real reason to change our whatever it was November prediction that um, Methody were going to go all the way. But it'll be a, an interesting test for them so early in the competition as well. Absolutely. I mean you. Any time it's Methy and you know, doesn't matter who's the favourite. Like mm-hmm. they're both going to go hell for leather at this. You know, it's a, it's going to be a massive game, and it's one of those ones where you really get a sense of who has the better schools cup credentials. Obviously, whoever that is will go through, but it, this is really where you get to see which team can cope with mm-hmm. the pressure of potentially being uh, champions and. It's one of those ones where 
I think Inst will probably relish this game a bit more than Methody will, simply because for for the first time in a long time, Inst are being talked about as one of the premier contenders this year. Uh, so the chance to take down mm-hmm. Methody whenever they still are being talked about mm-hmm. as probably the favourites will uh, will be something they'll really be up for. You do sort of forget as well like how big a part the pressure can play in, in schools cup games like when oh, it gets yeah. to the stage because like they are so young and they're not used to playing under under this sort so it, probably in a lot of cases it's whoever deals with that better on the day that will come out. Like I, I remember even going down as a fan whenever I've had friends playing in the schools cup final and like the the nerves that you feel in the stand mm. for them, imagine what they're feeling actually mm-hmm. stepping out onto the pitch at Kingspan Stadium and probably even in the games leading up to yeah. it as well. You know the potential of playing because you, you think about it, the teams that win this weekend book their place in uh, in a semi final, which will be played at Ravenhill. Yeah, so that's true. Um, that. You know this this is the final hurdle to get your yeah, big shot big opportunity. At, at Kingspan and that that's a huge motivator for these guys like okay. the the chance to be able to say down the line well I, I played a game at uh, Kingspan mm-hmm. Stadium you know that's that's massive yeah. and especially like for Methody Inns at the weekend because like there is going to be a huge crowd at that game yeah. and yeah. you know you as you say you don't really think about it but like the playing in front of that many people and there's pr- there's probably no tougher environment in terms of hostility from opposing fans, <laughs> yeah. genuinely, than yeah, the schools' right. cup. Mm. Um, it can like it can be quite distasteful at times. I for, I forgot how vicious some of the chants can be whenever you uh, yeah <laughs> whenever you go to a schools' cup game because um, <laughs> it's funny myself, uh, my dad and my brother all went down to that Sullivan game. Um, and they went on ahead because uh, I was parking the car. <laughs> I, I walked up, I gave them a call, and I was like, where are you? And they were like, oh, we're just standing a bit on down. It turned out they parked themselves right in the middle of like the, Sul- the yeah, big just- Sullivan group of fans. And I'm just like, how did you get in there? Like, well, we don't know. They just kind of surrounded us. <laughs> and some of the chants are, they're vicious. But, you know, it's... it's it's school kids, you know, really getting yeah. into it. You know, you, you want your school to do well. And I think just the passion and the energy at some of those games is incredible. Um, although I, I do wish they'd be a bit more tasteful. <laughs> uh, speaking I'm going to ask you afterwards what the chance are. <laughs> Not for broadcast. Speaking of tasteful, clubs action uh, this weekend, Adam, and last weekend. Uh, just gloss over the Malone-Bambridge game and then take it from there. No, that's where we're starting. <laughs> like We have to start there because Malone's lead at the top of Division 1B is now three points from Old Wesley after they defeated Bambridge 22-15 at Gibson Park. Sorry, Gareth, that drops Bam down to fourth. Um, City of Armagh have now jumped up to third. They're riding a crest of, the w- crest of a wave after their senior cup success. Uh, they're now four points behind Malone after they beat Buccaneers 32-27 at the Palace Grounds. Balna Hinch, they missed a big chance to jump up the standings as well as they lost 19-17 at home to now second place Old Wesley. Hinch stays sixth and they're six points behind Malone. It's still really tight in that uh, in that division. I think there's, there's six points between first and seventh. Um, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Balmaina, though, unfortunately, they're five points adrift at the bottom of the table. They were hammered 52-7 at Old Belvedere. 
In Division 2A, Queen's University jumped up to 5th, that's after a 26-7 win over Navan. However, they're still a massive 26 points behind leaders Highfield, although they are pushing up closer to the playoff spots. In Division 2B, Rainy Old Boys continue to solidify their playoff place with a 19-10 win over Belfast Harlequins at Darmore Park. They're third, but they're also a long way behind leaders MU Barnhall. That's 21 points they have to make up. Belfast Harlequins dropped to ninth, and they're just one point ahead of bottom side Sunday as well. Dungannon, though, have jumped above Quinns to eighth, one point ahead of their Ulster rivals with a 25-10 victory over Wanderers. And in Division 2C, Oma Aki's keep up their playoff push as they defeated third place Bruff 27-26 at the Thomas Mellon playing fields to consolidate their place in fourth. Bangor suffered a shock 13-0 loss at home to bottom side Seapoint, and Darius City snatched a 19-16 win away to Tomond with a late, 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 late try. I think they were 10 minutes over there or something whenever they scored. Um, so looking ahead then to this week, even though the Six Nations returns, the All-Ireland League is still in action. Uh, in Division 1B, leaders Malone head to 5th place Nias. City of Armagh make the trip to 8th place Old Belvedere. The Ulster Derby this weekend comes from Rifle Park, where Balnehenge travel to face Bam Bridge. And Ballymena are hosting 2nd place Old Wesley at Eaton Park. In Division 2A, Queen's University have a big game against 4th place UL Bohemian at the dub. There's only 5 points between the sides in the standings, so Queen's could move up into the playoff spots with a win there. In Division 2B, it's third against fourth at Hattrick Park as Rainey welcomes Sligo up north for the tie. While there are very tough road trips for both Dungannon and Belfast Harlequins, they travel to second place Greystones and runaway leaders MU Barnhall respectively. In Division 2C, a trip to eighth place Tullamore is on the cards for Oma. Bangor are also on the road to third place Bruff and City of Derry welcome fifth place Malahide to Judges Road. And in the Women's All-Ireland League, 5th place Cook are away to 2nd place UL Bohemian on Saturday. That has a 5pm kickoff. Another big game for Bambridge this weekend then, at home to Balna Hinch. But he hadn't got bigger on it, could have had a bit of banter with him. <laughs> <laughs> you picked the, <laughs> you picked the wrong week. Am I right in thinking that the All-Ireland League continues through this period of the A-sides being in America? Uh, yes, it does. Um, because one of the things whenever it was announced that immediately jumped to my mind was all these guys are going to be away whenever the All-Ireland League is still going. So, theoretically, City of Armagh are now in third. Yes. And are going to be the only team throughout this period not losing a rake of players. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's handy. Yeah, it would obviously be completely wild if they <laughs> um, ended up being the Ulster side in 1A that we all hoped it's going to be. I mean, you know, to them, like, oh, to them yeah. for, for getting there. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, I think the, that's all part of the benefits of doing what they're doing, the way they're doing it. It is something that, worth yeah. talking about. They that have their Arma don't want, or don't take any Ulster players, and they're still punching well above their weight for a team that doesn't have any academy representation or even Ulster squad representation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for, I think you've got to give them a huge, huge amount of credit that they are where they are. And if they could be the team that makes it up to 1A, that would be massive. I mean, I, w- I would be willing to bet without... I, I don't know what the squads are in 1A, but I'd be willing to bet if City of Armagh made it up there, they'd be the only team without 
any Ulster or uh, without any academy players mm. in one A. Possibly. Well, obviously, they just they just say Ulster that they don't want them. So that's just the way it was. I thought it was a bit more enforced than that. But I always knew Yarm didn't have them. I just never really thought about it. I think there's a huge um, debate, really, about the benefits of having mm. these um, Ulster players dropping, mm. or well, provincial players dropping down, because you essentially don't know if they're going to be released until Thursday. So you're not going to see them until Thursday night's training, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then they're coming in, and then you might be relying on guys that you then don't see like I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody but for instance Barnbridge may have well expected to have Eric O'Sullivan for long periods of this season mm. same with Mike Laurie and James Hume and then with the way it's gone and mm. um, with the exception I suppose of um, Hume he's played a bit for them you're not seeing these guys yeah. and then it's sort of it can upset your plans <laughs> a bit and then Armagh are now going to be the shining example of the benefit of stability on some occasions yeah, you're I'm having sure. a, on some occasions you're having Ulster players coming back on the morning of a game, yeah. having come on off the bench for Ulster the night before, and going straight into your starting lineup yeah. for the following day. And obviously, like, like you don't know if they're going to get injured yeah. or if yeah. they're going to come on early and have played too much. So it's or if they're even going to make really the game plan. in time. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, ever in like. Coaching management meetings, Dan Sober's like, I don't think Michael Larry's played all this. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting down in the selection, I mean, like, do you know what? I think Maggie might uh, benefit from a rerun of AI or <laughs> We're only joking, by the way. Uh, we don't really think that. But that's pretty much us for this week before we say anything uh, that gets us in any more trouble. Is can, it I, can I make one point? Um, I was down at uh, a game at the weekend. Um, it was Wallace against Tremore in the medallion plate. I may have got that wrong, but it was Wallace against Jamora at medallion level. A friend of mine was playing in it. But um, there was a really bad injury just as I arrived to one of the Wallace players. Um, went into a ruck and uh, just got awkwardly hit. But I just want to say that the, the care that that guy got was absolutely phenomenal. Um, like there were, The game was immediately stopped. They were looking after him. They made sure that he was... He was fine because it was a head injury, so uh, there was obviously a lot of concern yeah. for him. But I mean, this—he was so well looked after by uh, parents, by coaches, by the referee. From both, you know, from both sides, we're making sure he was okay. Um, so I, I just wanted to say well done to all those mm-hmm. guys who were looking after him because they they did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, I don't know how he's doing now, but certainly they were they. Did an absolutely phenomenal job of looking after him. So. Great, great, good news. Well, that's us then for this week. So, from Adam McAndrew. Cheers, guys. And Jonathan Bradley. Thank you very much. And me, Gareth Allen. Thanks for listening.